whole company would be like excited about this project and waiting for it to close. You know, I'm making my six thousand. Like they made like a million in profit, and we all go celebrate. And I'm like, damn, like we gotta do more of this. This is the Real Estate Podcast, a show by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from our host, Matt Tyfke and Alex Kaufman. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. It's Friday. We got our vlog going on today. A lot of exciting things happening at TRE here in Austin, Texas. Jobs keep coming in. I'm excited, man. We've uh, keep building our team. How are you doing this morning, Alex? Good. Nice. What's going on? Uh, ready to start the day. Yeah. Get everything rolling. We uh, jumping into a bunch of partnerships, learning as we go. You're looking at some raw land today. I was thinking it'd be cool to. Talk about all the aspects of land. Um, there's a lot going on when you start looking at big tracts of land and a lot of different things to understand. And uh, for me, I think the ultimate version of what we're doing, or, or at least what I've been doing in real estate for a long time, is to become a developer, to be able to buy the land and create something with some real value. And I uh, have sold nine and a half acres I've sold one acre commercial tracks but never got into uh, large-scale development I've seen people that have done it that have bought hundred acres and and parceled them off into you know 25 acre tracks and sold those off and made a ton of money mm-hmm. and so you know you mentioned this like people can view land as it's boring and there's nothing to it and I kind of wanted to talk through like what I, what my experience was with Rawland at Edge when I was working there, and the the work that I would do on getting all the information, and kind of see if that, there's some value there for people, and then see what your thoughts are on land, and just jump in. And so one of the things, um, let let me let me quiz you. Let me give you a little trivia. So if if someone said Alex, go get the details on this land. And let's just say it was five acres. Let's just say it was two acres. What can you think of all the questions that you would need to ask or you would need to give somebody that's like, go find out this, 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 and this, just off the top of your head. Uh, what would be critical to understand about that land? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Zoning, development, um, you know, can it be subdivided? Um, are there any restrictions? Is there uh, any um, environmental things that would prohibit you from doing anything? Um, kind of figuring out what's not possible there mm-hmm. and then figuring out what is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. And then the, a lot of these things you can do online. So you can, most cities have a, a GIS zoning map. So zoning is, the, is a big one, you know, flood zone. Uh, getting a survey, another huge one that's actually kind of hard to figure out sometimes is utilities. So does it have the sewer? Does it have the water? Does it have the electric? And it's not easy to go figure out what the answer is to that. Some people don't know. Some people don't know where these lines are. The nine and a half acres that I sold did not have water to the site, and it cost the buyer and I was representing the seller, it cost the buyer 150000 because they had to bring the water under the highway. And so, like, those are huge aspects to know. One, one time when 
when I was working at Edge, they bought some land for development, and they didn't realize, but there was a, a huge septic tank in the middle of this property, and like it was a big deal, and that was an interesting learning point for me because you can't really go online and find that out. Like they just found it through walking, like literally walking the property. It was underground or what? Yeah, it was underground. And it was uh, a plus or a negative? It was a negative because, you know, they had to get rid of it. Now they had to you know, fill that space. I mean, it wasn't that, that big of a negative, but it was just interesting to, to learn that like anything, you know, with land, like anything could happen. You could go start developing it and start digging stuff up and, and figure out that it was, you know, an area where people were dumping oil for 20 years, you know, and that would really, really negatively affect the property. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's just a lot of moving parts on land. And I, I think that's why, and there's some unknowns. And I think that's why you can make such good money is because one, you're creating something out of nothing in some ways. And then two, you're taking a lot of risks. So a big aspect of it is to find a good architect, engineer, and you got to get these people because they'll they'll do a lot of them will do like a preliminary search, and they'll get all this information for you, and you can go find it yourself um, by going on like every city website, at least around here for sure, has different filters. So you can go on there and click like utilities, you know, wastewater, whatever it may be. And it will show it on this map, but sometimes it's hard to understand. And so that's where you, you know, having a good engineer that will really look at this. And usually they'll charge you like $1,500 for a preliminary report. And for them, man, it probably takes like two hours. But they have that skill set of, you know, having done it before, but also knowing what to look into and what to look out for. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's good to have those relationships. But then if you really want to engage them, then it's like they'll create a plan and they'll meet with the city with you and they'll hire the people to do all the utilities and all of that. And so it's this is a lot of what I've learned is like the team is so important. And I've, I've met with, you know, one, on my nine and a half acres, I met with the city of Round Rock and this is really cool. Where was this nine and a half at? It was on uh, 45 and Schultz. Where Schultz? Uh, east? Yeah. Towards 130? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, where Living Spaces is? That big? Yeah. Yeah. It's like two properties over. And I, I had this listing for nine months, and I was like, this is before I... How'd you uh, get the listing? It was actually my uncle, Jack. Got it. Yeah, so he... Um, he bought real estate all over town back in the day and like he bought this this property for his office and then just never did anything with it and he bought it for like 150,000 yeah he let's talk ab- let's talk about that for one second yeah. uh and maybe you have more insight you obviously do have more insight on this than I do but your mom used to tell me that um jack would take you know profits or whatever and just go buy land mm. right that's, I mean, I, I haven't ever talked about that strategy, but I do know he owns land, and I do know he was planning to uh, potentially have an office there. But he would, I guess he would go find good spots, like along highways, and bought it for 150 We sold it for $1.6 million. Mm-hmm. I'm like, jeez. Do you know how long he owned it for? He had it for 15 years. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And I was dreaming of how am I going to develop this? Because I knew some things about some roads coming in. And I knew about living spaces and Kalahari is, it's not immediately next to it, but it's a couple minutes away with this new road. So I desperately wanted to buy this property. I was like, man, this is cheap. It was $4. For 1.5 million, it was cheap? Yeah, for nine and a half acres, I think it was $4.80 a square foot. Mm -hmm. So I knew that that was cheap. Like typically it's more like... 10 or 15. Um, Who bought it? A guy named Brian Rome who's going to build a bunch of townhomes. But with nine and a half acres, man, I was like, had all kinds of ideas. Like maybe in the very back, you put uh, storage, and on the corner, you put a gas station. And like, gas stations will pay a million dollars for a corner in this area all day long. And I talked to a couple of gas station guys. Um, we were negotiating on it for a while for Jack, but it was like, man, you sell this corner for a million dollars and then you've got seven acres for 500 K. There's a lot you could do with that, you know? mm-hmm. but I didn't have the, the capacity and ability to, to go buy that myself. And I considered like tell my mom, I think you should sell all of your properties and go buy this. But it was like, that works for me because of what I want to do. Like if I had that money, but she'd be buying raw land. You know, that's not, that's super risky. That's the thing is there's, there's a lot of risk as far as time frame, right? Like my mom might want to retire in 20 years and. Yeah. I wonder what the, uh, the taxes were on that as well. If you're having, you know, non-income producing raw land. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was somewhere between 12 and 15,000 per year. It's not extreme amount, but it's not cheap either no not for, at all for uh you know non-income producing land yeah and so man that god that filled in quick but just uh and then actually um i don't know if i ever told you this i should if i can find it i'll give it to you but i i was reaching out to people a long time ago and i was writing letters i used to write tons of letters and this guy ended up being an attorney in austin can't remember his name but he was a big time player like he had a lot of real estate and he sent me back a 13-page um, document that he wrote himself. Yeah, you showed show me that. that. And his thing was, go to the edge of town, find the hot intersections, and buy the land. You know, and that's, it's tricky because obviously that, that everyone knows that that does actually work, but you got you to gotta have money to go store money away for 10 20 years you know Mm -hmm. that's not easy Um, but that's a fascinating concept man and it's crazy how fast things grow like you you think that something's far out and all of a sudden it's the middle of you know super hot intersection and uh heb i don't know if you know this but they own land everywhere they just go buy land i you know they they want to put their stores there but even if there's a like they're not going to open stores on all those properties by any chance, but if there's some kind of thought that this is good land, they're probably going to go buy it. Did Jack uh, have cattle or anything out there? No, no cattle. Um, Do you know? Just, what, is there a minimum acreage requirement to have a ag exemption? That's a good question. I, I'm sure. I don't. I don't know to be honest. Because that does decrease the the taxes a tremendous amount for non-income producing land, right? Yeah. Even if 
I lease that land to you for a dollar a year, but you put your cattle on there and it decreases my taxes mm -hmm. for having that on there. Yeah, honestly, I don't know too much about that. That would be a good thing to look into, um, just to know, just in general, how that, I mean, I honestly don't know how much, like, the taxes even decrease, like the percent or anything like that. I know but, you have to have a, a minimum of, I think it's 10 acres to uh, hunt with a rifle. 10 acres? You had nine and a half. Yeah, well, for to, to, have, to hunt with a rifle, I believe you have to have 10 acres. Yeah. Obviously, that probably wouldn't be a great spot to, to deer hunt. But when I think about um, raw land, I'm thinking about ways like that, a deer lease, uh, the ag exemption for cattle, ways to minimize the expenses of that piece of land while it's not producing income or to turn it into income producing, you know, raw land. Mm. You want to hear about my uh, biggest mistake in real estate? So I was doing some work for Advance Auto in Hutto. And this, I, I used to love doing this, but because with commercial, um, it's these bigger tracks and Hutto's kind of small. Like I would do this in Hutto and um, in Land Passes, like all these small towns. Because Advance Auto, they have a lot of stores in Austin and they, they're looking in these smaller markets and they can't pay that much for property. Like they pay like, you know, some people, think oh it's advanced auto like they're gonna just pay a couple million dollars like no they pay like five hundred thousand for an acre which is kind of low in this area like for what kind of real estate they want they want mm -hmm. good real estate and most of the time it's 1.2 so i was doing some work for them in hutto and hutto's pretty small i got i got some maps i printed them out i had the uh, parcel numbers ownership i was taking notes i I would, uh, we had these girls that worked for us that would make things look nice, right? And so I'd like make all these hand notes and they'd put it on a map with like call out boxes and all this stuff. So I had a call out, I had a call out box on every parcel. Like, you know, this is, this is two acres. This is one acre, $15 a square foot, $20 a square foot, $25 a square foot, all the prices on everything in Hutto. Advanced Auto is your client? Mm-hmm. And there was this one track that this guy lived at a ranch in Uvalde, an older guy. And I wrote him a letter. Where is that at? Kind of, um, it's San Antonio, um, west of San Antonio, like southwest of San Antonio, about an hour out. Gotcha. And I wrote him a letter. One acre? Um, yeah, it was like 1.3 or something like that. And I still, I can show it to you sometime. But he called me back and he's like, yeah, I want to sell. I was like, oh, great. I'm driving. I remember where I was. Like, I was on 71. And he said, uh, I want 250. I was like, 250,000? He's like, yeah, 250. I was like, oh my God. Like, that's the price of a freaking house, you know, mm -hmm. right behind it on a fourth of an acre, you know. Smaller than that, actually. Probably like an eighth of an acre. So I knew this was a good price. That's the only thing I knew. This is a good price. And I took it to uh, my boss, my two brokers. I showed Advance Auto. Advance Auto didn't like it. It was uh, a little bit off. It was on the main road, but it was just, you know, they're picky. Even, and that's the weird thing. It's like it price is important to them, but even though it was 250 they weren't like, oh, we'll just buy it. They're like, no, we need to fit our mold, which I can get that. And so I'm like, man, we got to buy this. Like, we have to buy this. 
you know, and this was my first year in the edge and the partners were like, man, you know, we understand what you're saying, but they're big into really minimizing risk, like buying something only if they know that the tenant's going to go there. They don't want to go take that risk. I'm like, guys, this is, you know, for them, this is how does How does uh, Advanced Auto work in that sense? Do they, uh, are they franchises? No, it's corporate. Yeah. But who the tenant being Advanced Auto? Yeah. So it's really interesting. So um, there's these preferred developers, and this guy named Collins was for Advanced Auto, and he also did uh, Bojangles. And these guys are developers. They have a good setup. So what they do is they'll buy the land themselves. They'll build the building, but they'll already know that Advanced Auto will take this spot before they even buy the land. There's a little bit of risk there. So the developers own and develop the land and then lease it yeah. to Advanced Auto. Yeah, a lot of times. Gotcha. And Advanced Auto, um, you know, has set numbers on, you know, how much this guy's going to make. It's not unlimited. They're like, we're hooking you up, and so you're going to make this much over cost, you know. And um, you But know, you do all of our... Our, you know, all of yeah, our you locations. get to do all of our, you know, you right. get to do all of our locations in Texas and yeah. Oklahoma, and then you know you can do the same thing for Bojangles <laughs> and wherever. Okay, so so Advanced Auto didn't want it. Well, hold on, this is important. So he would um, once he leased it, he'd build it, lease it to Advanced Auto, and then he'd sell the building to an investor that bought the income. So he would go make like two hundred fifty thousand per deal. And so these aren't. Uh, Ground leases, these are... They're just normal leases. How how long are the terms? 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it was a killer job, man. Uh, I, I like always respected that. Um, so that was cool. And then anyways, they didn't want the land. My bosses didn't... They didn't um, think that a, a credit, AAA credit tenant would lease it. And so we just had to pass on the deal. That my, I look back on that... And I'm like, if I know what I knew now, then I would have just put it under contract and like wholesaled it or something. I would have done something to make money on it. Even if I would have freaking listed it at 250000 But I wasn't even thinking that way because I didn't, I was like, I don't want to, you know, worry about making 7K on this. I'm trying to make 250 because that's the thing. So to clarify, I knew it was worth 500 based on the map I had. I knew the price of everything. And I knew the price of a house in Hutto. So it was just ridiculously cheap. And I just wish I would have been able to do something with it. And I, I could have now, just with knowledge, not even with money, it wasn't a money thing. Because, you know, you can go raise. To pull something off like that, you need to go raise 30, 40K. So is that the end of the story? Or did something happen to the well, land? Now if you go out there, it's a retail, it's two retail buildings that are being developed and every time I drive by it I'm like damn it that was the one mm-hmm. do you so, know what it sold for I'm pretty sure it, it sold for like a little bit over like it sold for like 260 or 270 so yeah so he didn't he got what he wanted yeah he got what he wanted and it was the, you know the interesting thing was just that I wrote a letter and he called me back mm-hmm. and um, my Perception was that he lived at this ranch and he just probably lived out there for the last 40 years and had probably no idea what was going on in Hutto and no idea about the value and 
Is in Hutto? You said it was outside San Antonio. No, that's where he lives. That's where I wrote the letter to. Gotcha, yeah. but this land was in Hutto. Yeah. Okay. It was on 685 in Hutto, right by the high school. Okay. Do you know 685? Maybe not, but it's like 79, hits 685, and it goes, it's kind of a main road it's over between there. between Hutto and Taylor? Uh, so I mean, it's just right in Hutto. So, man, I just, I look back on that, and I'm like, man, I could have some commercial land. And that's the power of knowledge is like I could have put that under contract and wholesaled it or got some partners. I could have done 250,000. Mm-hmm. If it was like 2 million or 1 million at that time, then I wouldn't be that hung up on it because I'm like, yeah, that's a stretch. But I could have pulled, I could have sold a couple houses and bought that if I wanted to. Right. And the, the problem was I was looking to my brokers who I, this was a little bit, I mean, this was like five years ago, four years ago. So I also didn't have nearly the confidence in my ability. And I was looking to them like, guys, like, is this a good deal? You know, and they're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's not. You know, maybe I just don't get it. And now looking back, I know it was. And also seeing someone build a retail building over there. Well, and I think that what you're talking about is important um, to understand too. When you're going to people for advice uh like you know you may go to those brokers and it's not fitting the mold of what they're trying to do or what your clients are trying to do therefore it's not a good deal for what they're trying to accomplish there but it doesn't mean that it's not a good deal yeah 100 percent. that's super true and yeah that's what i that's that was my learning point man it's like i need to just you know take it onto myself to take the risk and have confidence in what i do and what i know and not, you know, take people's advice, but not have that be the end all be all. Cause I just literally, after they said that I moved on and I was kind of like, I still kind of in the back of my mind was like, I know this is a good deal. You know, I'm, I'm not understanding. And so I was kind of a little upset at them. Cause I'm like, guys, like we could, you know, we could have all made more than my salary last year on this one deal, but because you don't want to put the time into this with me, we're just passing. And it was, that's what it felt like. Did you get paid a salary? No. Well, actually, my first year I did, which was pretty rare. But I got lucky, man. A lot, of, a lot of people will come in. It wasn't much. It was like twenty five hundred. It was not really helpful. Uh, but most commercial brokers will get that pay as a draw. You yeah. Have to pay it back out of your commission. Mine was just straight salary, and I actually got it for like six months longer than I expected. So it was pretty nice. Nice. Yeah. So you just didn't talk about the end date. And just <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put just it. Just kept let it going. Kept going with it, and uh, yeah, it's rare for commercial and uh, broker any brokerage position to get a salary. Um, so that was helpful, and also learned a lot, man. Is um, commercials? You know, you have these two or three year deals that take place, and then you end up splitting the brokerage commission four ways, and what seems to be a sixty grand commission turns into seven on a three-year deal that was a little frustrating what seems to be a 60k commission yeah i mean because it's like you have so you'll have a coat you'll have like a partner broker and then you also split it with the company so you split it once and then you split it again mm-hmm. and it turns into being not much even if so it's interesting maybe people don't know this but and we don't do this at our company um but like if say i'm gonna work a deal with one of our agents We'll typically, like if we do it that way, 
we would typically just split the commission before you were a partner. We'd just split the commission 50-50. But the way that they do it at Edge is we split it with the company this way, and then we split it with ourselves. So that changes big time. Yeah, it's getting cut in half twice. And, And the guys I was working on the deal with were the owners. You know, so they were getting the double split. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Uh, do you stay in touch with Advanced Auto anymore or any, any of those clients? No, not the clients. Um, all of my buddies that are in the commercial space, I do. I try well, to stay in touch with them. Why don't you stay in touch with the clients? They're edge, they're edge clients. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, I got those clients from Edge. I follow we saw all kinds of stuff. I mean, goals. you were, yeah, the, the brokerage model. It's the yeah. This was this is different because, dude, we had these parties. We they would throw like seventy thousand dollar parties in Vegas. I'm like tripping out. You know, it's like a, a stack of ribeye steaks over here. Some dudes walking around with cigars. You're on the balcony. You're like, what's going on? I don't know anybody there like that well. Like I know my my you know company kind of well but i felt like and then and then these parties would be that that's heaven for you cigars steak casinos (laughs) (laughs) well actually uh it was kind of weird because i wasn't i wasn't gambling so i just i just didn't gamble at all and i didn't like sometimes i i would like i don't know i just i didn't really enjoy doing all this so it's, I would be like, I'm, I'm just sneak, I'm just gonna have to get dinner and sneak out and go to bed. Like I don't, I don't actually, at this point in my life and at that point, like I don't want to be in Vegas. I'm not, I'm not about that. Right. I'm, I know you can go have fun and all that, but I just didn't like it. No, I hear you. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but met, met a lot of cool people. You'd have these conversations. Like you're just like meeting people, like having a drink, and you, t- you're talking to someone who owns like. Hundred million dollars of real estate, and the next person over here does the same. And I'm like, you know, in that sense, that was heaven for me. I'm like, really trying to build these relationships. Um, it was wild, man. So, have you been a part of a development ground up? Yeah, start to finish. Mm-hmm. In what in what sense? Um, we did the. Uh, if you can maybe picture this, but the northwest corner of 620 and 183, Lakeline Mall over there. North, yeah, literally right on the corner where the Best Buy is, right behind it. There's two retail buildings it's got uh, Orange Theory, Fireball, Mattress Firm. There's two, you, yeah, it's and Ross is over there too. Mm-hmm. So, we they bought that land, Edge bought that land. Um, you probably saw it if you can remember, it used to be like a, a uh, detention, like you're like, oh, yeah, that's just detention for that shopping center. But they figured out how to buy it and fill that in and uh, built two buildings. And they uh, leased it. They, they knew that these tenants would lease right there. They, they represented three-fourths of the tenants that leased that space. And, From uh, themselves. We bought it. Edge bought it and owned it. And then built it and leased it to these tenants and then sold it with all those tenants in place. And so they made a, uh, like they let everyone at our company invest. Not a lot for me, I, I invested like 10K or something like that, 12K, as much as they'd let me. I was like, I wanna, I wanna go in more. And it was a 67% return. 
Hmm. Over how long? Uh, two and a half years. Yeah. So they have a couple other projects like that going on in San Antonio. And um, it's pretty crazy, man. I did one more that I actually sourced. I did it with learning experience. I This is crazy. In Vegas, we were going to these, we were going to these booths. And me and my buddy Brett were like, let's go talk to this guy. Learning experience. And we walked in. He's like, yeah, I'm looking for land in Austin. I need a developer. We're developers. So I told him. And he's like, really? Like, yeah, absolutely. And we actually ended up buying land in Leander. He had the land. That's the thing. That's why the point of this stuff is like these companies don't always have to own. They just want to get a location to make money, right? He already had the land picked out. This the guy a, y'all were talking to? Mm-hmm. He worked for Learning Experience, Omar. Uh, I thought you were saying this was a learning experience. <laughs> the learning experience, you know, little kid school. Gotcha. And uh, we're they're about to finish that. And uh, we, we bought the land. We built the building. They signed a lease with us before we did any of this. They signed a 10-year lease. We knew the rent that they were going to pay, all of that. So you take that lease and... Um, it's very valuable. So you can go to the bank with that lease and get lending to, on a project with all the, you know, you have to have the development plans and all that. So we built the building for them and they're buying, they're actually buying it back at closing at a set price. And um, the way that it works is typically if you bring a deal like that, you'll get like 15% of the profits from the development. But I got the commission on buying the land. I got the commission on uh, signing the lease. And then we'll get commission on selling the building. And ended up being a lot less than, than I was thinking. Because um, I had to you know, split it and split it again. Because Brett was working on that with me. But it was pretty cool. Like It's, it's in Leander. And I think it's going to be done in like a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, literally walk so into the booth. Edge does that. They buy the land, yeah. develop it, lease it, mm-hmm. and sell it. Yeah. they've done, So, like, they did it. They were kind of, like, they always were doing tenant rep and were really good at it. And then JLL and some of these other companies, like, went all in. And on tenant on, rep? No, on developing, but representing the tenants that they would develop for and made started making a lot of money. So, Edge... Like the one that I was telling you about in Lakeline was like their third, second or third deal. And then they did one over by the domain. Like right when you're pulling into the domain on the kind of on the front side is uh, there's like two retail buildings with AT&T and stuff like that. And so I think what, what happened was they started like really seeing how that worked and wanting because these guys would go invest like a million dollars. And... Like we, the whole company would be like excited about this project and waiting for it to close. You know, I'm making my six thousand. Like they made like a million in profit, and we all go celebrate. And I'm like, damn, like we got to do more of this. And so they just maybe they're doing that even more now. It was it was in the middle of the beginning of that process, and so they saw how it worked, and then now they want to go do that as much as they can. Probably even more focused on that than tenant rep. So how do you minimize risk in a project like that? The the tenant's the key, really. Like, if you get the tenant to sign a lease, like, you're pretty much good to go. Before it's built. Yeah, your timelines have to match up because 
the other thing that you have to understand is and also how much of that is finance keep going these are just questions I have. yeah yeah um it's really there's a lot to it but whenever you're like advanced auto would come to town we'd go drive them around they'd pick out some sites we go throw some lois out get some stuff under contract but then there's like multiple um committees that have to approve these deals so once you get under contract we'd have to do all this work for them that's kind of what i hated about it. i felt like i was a employee for advanced auto and these real estate guys they get paid salaries like these um i forget what real estate manager or whatever it is for advanced like, auto yeah these guys that do this for these big companies they're not the brokers they find brokers and they go to town and the brokers show them around, and then these guys like help make decisions based on you know they'll go run analytics on like they can, you know, in some of these companies they have a pinpoint they drop it in and it will probably tell them what their sales would be, at that store, and so these guys like weren't really real estate guys in my opinion a lot of times, but they're like our bosses in some ways, and they're your clients. Yeah, they're they, representing your clients. There are clients. It's just a different thing because they we do a lot for them, a lot more than a typical agent. I guess if you're thinking about residential, because you're expected to wine and dine them and all this stuff, and it's like we're not even making that much money, right? You know, I'm I'm, I'm buying these guys hundred dollar, two hundred dollar dinners, and I don't have that much money. They, you know, they. Uh, probably won't be closing the deal because it's it's 50 50 sometimes and it's just there's it's kind of weird especially when you're like 22 23 and you're like this guy is like worth three times as much as me so and it, it there's a lot to it but i basically they they treat you like you work for them whereas in other cases in my opinion they you treat it like you work together and um anyways we'd go through these they had to go through these committees right and so one thing to back up, he, the advanced auto guy would be like, call on that building. And it's like, that, that's a three-story office building that's fully leased. I already know we can't buy it. I don't need to go get the story. We can only pay 500000 anyways. But well, I'd have to go get the answer. Why would they want to uh, buy an office building anyways? Because he wants to tear it down. And tear it down it, and build Which makes no sense. Like, you know, I mean. Real estate guys. <laughs> thank you. I'm like, God, I got to go get the freaking story and track this owner down to tell him the price is $3 million. I already know that, you know. But they, you, you tee it up, you get it lined up, you create all these packets, demographics, you get all the sales. Like, we'd have to, I'd have to go and they would tell me, like, go get the sales numbers from Chewy's. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do that? They're like, just go on in there and talk to someone and get the number. And then you start talking to all these other brokers and they're like, you get all these stories about how they do it, and it's like, damn, this is fascinating. Like, there's this one guy, Steve, in Dallas, and he just he knows all the people in restaurants, so he just knows the sales because he can just call them. But you go you go and talk to the manager, and and you're like, you know, how's this place doing? You know, doing about fifty thousand a week, forty thousand. You know, you just try to get a number out of them, and it's not even you don't even know if it's accurate. That's the weirdest part. It's like you'd be like, yeah, this is their sales, like. How the fuck do we know this is their sales? Right, you're not looking at T12. No. And so, like, we would put those numbers in these reports, and they would count. They would, like, count on these as being accurate. And 
I, I've seen how it works. It's like nobody knows. Like they're, maybe they're close sometimes, but so at best, Otto was wanting to know what. No, this is like for Buffalo Wild Wings. This is just in that world. But you get it all lined up. They go to committee, and they maybe where's this committee? Wherever their headquarters are. Committee yeah. with who? Advanced Auto? Yeah, with whatever retail company, you you know. And then, like, this is the first time that the decision maker is looking at this deal. Like, the actual decision maker. And everything's teed up. It's like, we got it under contract. Here's the number. Like, that's why we have to do all this work, to make it easy. And they're just like, nah. No deal. You know? And so we're like, oh, my gosh. We just wasted six months doing this that was the first you know if your real estate guy is good enough and the deal is good enough hopefully they say yes but that doesn't always happen and another thing i had nine deals under contract with advance auto and they something happened with their earnings and they're like yeah our earnings are we're pretty ceasing bad. we're all real estate i'm like that was like that was my whole life of, yeah. of making money like i had put all my time into advance auto so I mean that's how brokerage goes, you know. It's it happens to everyone. So how much of these uh, projects are financed? You find the like land. What percentage of it? Yeah. Mostly probably seventy five percent. They can get like the they do all these things with you do the uh, you know short term interim loan that's transitioned into permanent financing, uh, and you get you get the bank on board and. Well, so you buy the land. 75% financed. Mm-hmm. Then how much the construction is financed? Most of it. Pretty much all of it. Depending on, you know, who the partners are and the credit and all that stuff. Track record. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, they pay for the construction and everything. And then you wrap it into the new loan. And a lot of times there's a lot of profit there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then I've, I've been on the other side with actually building it in like with another company and seeing all the things that can go wrong on development like stupidest thing but roof leaks I was in this huge building and it was like every week this is when I was interning every week is like there's a leak and we had 10 people there like well it's this guy's fault like no it's this guy's fault it's this guy's fault it's like oh my gosh how do we solve this and uh it's not an easy answer, you know. Architect blames the roofer, the roofer blames the sub, whatever. And the only time we know when it leaks is they gotta get up there and freaking spray it with water hoses. And I'm like, this is like just crazy, you know. Wild card. Like no one can figure this out. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, man. Well, how do you real quick? Uh, how do you minimize? Obviously, this is a very complex answer, but. Uh, generally speaking, how do you minimize risk in a uh, new development project? The tenants, having the tenants on board and feeling really comfortable with them and ideally having a signed lease. Also, by knowing the real estate's really good. You know, the, the more comfortable you feel with the property, the more you realize you have other backup plans as well. Well, think about like new construction apartment complexes. Um, they don't have tenants going in. I know that they're trying to pre-lease these, you know, years out, right? Yeah. A year out, however, however long they can. Um, but I mean, that comes down to the real estate, right? Like, these guys have all these analytics and ways to understand what demand is that 
for the most part, if it fits that model and they, you know, they can go look at all the inventory, all the people moving here, all the stuff that's coming online and just know for the most part that it's going to work. And if the real estate's good enough, then it's like definitely more risky, but you just build it. It's if you build it, they will come, I guess, you know, and, um, they know that it will work because they've analyzed like that specific market and they're like, there's a shortage of supply. And I used to do that with self storage. We would go and, uh, we would try and find out which units, which complexes were vacant or fully leased. And you can tell by if it has a lock on the, the deal a lot of times. And if you're looking on at, the door. Yeah. If you're looking at building storage and you go to every storage facility within five miles and they're fully leased, that's one like really positive sign. Yeah. Mobile home parks. Yeah. Yeah, dude. We need to get those refis going and... Uh, you're ready for that. I'm excited about the mobile home park. Yeah, 14. Yeah, we got a mobile home park under contract, and that's gonna be that's that's gonna be our, my most exciting deal for sure. Ever. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's it's not just mobile homes. It's it's got retail, commercial. Um, love the location. Love the location. Yeah. But the reason I said that is mobile home parks have pretty much zero vacancy here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And the tenants stay there for 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. I mean, there's so many different... When I was calling these mobile home parks, acting like I was you know, trying to lease from them, it was like I was inconveniencing them. It was just a waste of their time. They're like, we're, you know, full, you know. Uh, yeah. Get on the list. Right. I was like, that's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's a great sign. <clears throat> we'll have to uh, dive into that deal. I think that would be a good podcast. That'd be a really good podcast about um, how we found it and what we're doing. And we could maybe even do a vlog out there. Show everybody what's up. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that's all I got for today. It's uh, interesting to, to dive back into that world of commercial real estate. And uh, just so you know, it I wasn't saying that all this is boring, but in terms of video footage when we got there and we're recording the land oh yeah no i hear you i totally get it um we'll see what happens i think i i wanted to touch on this a little bit because maybe it's going to be valuable for you to, to think through it, some of this it stuff. definitely was yeah so we'll see you guys uh today's wednesday that you're viewing this oh, so i'm like man i'm lost <laughs> but uh, well i guess it's not going to link up anyways if this comes later you have to go back and watch the vlog where we go check out the raw land with the legendary Rick Stein, right up there somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hope you all have a good day. Thank you for uh, always tuning in. Please like our channel, subscribe, uh, click the link below. We're here to add value, help any way we possibly can. We, uh, we are pretty versatile. We've been doing this for a while and have a lot of experience. So just I tell people all the time, if you're not reaching out and at least picking our brains for stuff, like you're missing it because we're here to be a resource. and. There's a good chance there's something we can help out with. So thank you guys, and uh, hope you have a great day. And you have a good day. See you next time.